Matthew chapter 3. So we're finishing up the chapter, but we um, we did 7 through 13. Uh, I don't, let's see, yeah, 7 through 13. Um, well, really, we only did 7 through 10. I didn't get much into 11 and 12. Um, and so there's a couple things in there that I want us to hit on tonight. Uh, the This last paragraph, well, these last two paragraphs, um, we see really the, the introduction of Jesus. We've gone through these first ten verses, and John hasn't actually spoken specifically about Jesus yet. Uh, we've talked about the kingdom. We've talked about repentance. We have talked about Jesus because we... We have the, the luxury of knowing what is coming. Uh, we've talked about uh, the wrath of God. We've talked about uh, God sending this gracious sign of, of His coming in John. Uh, and we finished this morning in the sort of conflict John had with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, we saw the hypocrisy of these leaders, um, and we saw that the hypocrisy revealed that they were fruitless trees, and that John was declaring this wrath that was to come, and that all fruitless trees, or as in Jude says, waterless clouds, all these fruitless trees will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Uh, so then we get to, it's, it's like this paragraph 11 through 12, 11, verses 11 and 12. It's John uh, then getting to who is bringing this judgment? Who has the authority? Who has been given the right to actually do this? Who's picking up the axe, basically? Uh, yeah. And we see in verse 12 another agricultural instrument, the winnowing fork. So John is going to bring, a, bring into our understanding who this is that is bringing the kingdom of God, and it is Jesus, Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. So, keep this in mind. The one that he's talking about, Jesus, said this about John, and I think I wrote it down. Here's what Jesus said about John the Baptist in Matthew 11. We'll, we'll get to it one day. Among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. John is telling us in verse 11, He who is coming after me is mightier than I. And if you remember, the angel spoke to Zechariah and said that the baby, John the Baptist, would be filled with the Spirit from the womb. John is a pretty mighty man. 
I mean, we can't, we can't lower His significance. He wants us to in light of Christ, and that is right. But by also seeing the reality of who John the Baptist is, and we'll see it some more as we talk about uh, him and the spirit of Elijah down the road, to be mightier than John the Baptist is that's a big deal. It's a big deal. He who is mightier than me, and he says this, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. So, I, I know you, no, I'm not going to pick on you. I know that sometimes our shoes can stink. They can stink. You know, especially we've been working hard. But the reference that John is making here, sandals, feet, in this time, it was kind of a, it was kind of a disgraceful thing. When we think about Jesus in John chapter 13, what does he do? He goes and washes the feet of the disciples. That was, that was, Peter's like, nope, you're not doing that. You're not going to wash my feet because what was going on? They, they were walking everywhere they went. Their feet were filthy. They were dirty. And so to have someone wash your feet, that was quite an undertaking. But to carry someone's sandals, to, have, to pick up someone's shoes, it, it's, not a, it's not a clean, fun thing. So that is what your servant would do, right? Carry your shoes, your sandals, if you were to clean them or whatever. John, greatest man born of women, says, I'm not even worthy to carry this man's sandals. I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm not even a servant. I'm below that. He who is coming and is mightier than me. Now, we saw that Jesus is was born of a woman in John chapter 1 and 2. He was born of Mary. But it's, we know that Jesus just isn't a man like John. And the whole reason that John knows that the one that is to come is mightier than he, because he knows that the one who, who is to come is God. God in the flesh. That, who, that, is, that is who is coming. And this is something that the church gets, can get wrong. We can underplay or not even understand exactly who Jesus is. God. And what we'll see later as we look at the baptism of Jesus, we see that this Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descends upon Him like a dove. Now, what we cannot do is say that Jesus was a man who received the Spirit and was born again. That's not what's happening. That's not who Jesus is. And if you're not aware, that is a very very popular teaching or understanding of who Jesus is. 
that He is a man like you and I who received the Spirit to the fullest here at His baptism and therefore was able to do what He did. A complete neglect of the fact that as Jesus was born, He was born the God-man. Fully God and fully man. Now that is something that is hard to grasp, but it is something that if it falls apart, we have no gospel. We have no salvation. Now in here, and I want, and I... I'm telling you this because this type of teaching is it's tricky. And it's everywhere, especially on your TV. When you go and turn on all these different religious channels that's got three letters next to it, they put on people who don't teach the true Christ. They teach a Jesus who was a man who was born again, but was greater than us. And the whole purpose behind that is to make you think that you could accomplish what Jesus has accomplished. That you upon this earth have the ability to do miracles and all of these things that Christ did as a man. But we cannot go there. But because when you do that, you degrade the cross. When you make Jesus less than the God-man, you have no sacrifice. You have no sacrifice that pays for the sin of the world. It doesn't work. Jesus is God, and that is why John says, the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. Think about what Malachi prophesied. The Lord said, I'm coming. Well, who shows up? Jesus, right? Jesus. The one who is to come, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you. So John said, I baptize with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So here's here's the first part where I... um, I can't 100% say exactly the perfect context and interpretation of this verse. He baptized you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, keep in mind, John baptizes with water. Jesus baptizes with Holy Spirit and fire. Now, let me give you a couple of options that I have seen from very trusted uh, sources. One, the Holy Spirit and fire, the baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire from Jesus is judgment on the Pharisees and Sadducees of whom he's talking to. The whole context of this passage is a lot, or especially from 7 to, sorry, 12, is a lot of judgment towards those who don't bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And when the Holy Spirit comes and you are not keeping in repentance, as we saw in Malachi 3 and 4, you're judged with fire. 
There will be no stubble. There will be no branch. There will be no root. God specifically states in Malachi that He is coming to judge with fire. So that's the first one. The second one is He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And this is a proclamation of salvation and new life. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this, there, we can go through multiple passages where we see, I think in Acts, we see it a couple times, that Jesus uh, had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens in new life. That's what happens in salvation. When you're justified, you are born again by the Spirit of God. You are baptized, immersed by the Spirit of God. This is every believer, every true believer has been baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's not a special thing that some people have and some people don't. It is a baptism for all who believe. Uh, Just come to my mind here. Let me read this. Uh, Paul says to the Ephesians, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Everyone who hears, who believes, is sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And we also know that fire is used in the context of purging. Like testing, testing metal. So the Lord, the Lord does that to us. He tests us in hot situations as we live our lives. And in coming through that, in faith, so when you test metal, when you heat it up, the, the, the waste, the impurities come to the top, and then they scrape off the top. And so the metal is more pure than it was when they started. And they'll do it again and do it again until they get it as pure as possible. Well, that's what the Lord does to us. We don't, we don't, uh, we don't try to evade suffering. We don't go to seek it out like, oh, poor is me. We don't try to evade it because the Lord uses our suffering to refine us, to purify us. This is the path that we take as Christians as being made more like Christ. Think about Jesus. Think about His suffering. Think about about His life and His trajectory of His obedience to the Father. He was a man of sorrow. And we're called to follow Him. And He says, if you're going to follow Me, you must take up your cross, which doesn't mean bear a burden, but it means die to self. Sacrifice your life. Daily. So we don't, we don't try to evade suffering and troubles, but we, in Christ, conquer them and become more like Him as we do that. That's our process of being sanctified, being made more holy. So we could look at this passage and say, yeah, that's what, that's what Jesus baptizes us with, Holy Spirit and fire. I kind of see it as both. And I think there's evidence that we can look at this passage and see that when Jesus comes, He comes with the Holy Spirit. And for those who do not have the Holy Spirit, as Malachi said, 
they get they get purged. And he uses that very illustration in Malachi of the of the refiner's fire. Who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will set a refiner and a purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. That's not a good purification. He's purifying Israel and the Levites. Now, if you look at James, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it real quick. If you look at James chapter 1, he says, Count it all joy. So here's the other side of the purification. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing, that's that word, of testing metal, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So, I'm keen to say I'm riding the fence on this one. But I think that's biblical. I think it's okay for us to know that as Christ comes with the kingdom, He comes with the Spirit, and the same Spirit and fire that comes with Jesus has different effects on the sheep, different effects on the goat. And if you want me to try to prove that, look down at verse 12. Look what's the next thing that he says. Again, the idea of that there are two there's two there's two ways you go here. You're either in the kingdom or you're out the kingdom. You're either a sheep or you're a goat. And in this illustration in verses 12, you're either wheat or chaff. His winnowing fork is in his hand. Well, let, let, let me just start. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Two options there. But I want you to take I want you to take heart. So we sang it is well. Here's what I want you to understand and why you can leave today singing it as well. And I want you to really think about this this week. In verse 12, there, it's severe judgment for the chaff. But I want you to look at who possesses the wheat. Who has ownership of the floor? His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor. It is his. It is His. He will clear His threshing floor and He will gather His wheat. If you are in Christ tonight, you belong to Him. He is your... or I'm sorry, you are His possession. You are His slave. Praise be to God that He is your Master. And when He gathers His wheat... From His threshing floor, you are saved from the fire. This doesn't say, this doesn't say well, maybe if you did this right, you, or if you, if you said it the wrong way, or, oh, you, well, we might get to this a little bit later. If, if only if you did this ritual or you got this baptism. No. In Christ, by faith 
through faith alone. It is not something that you do, but it is a gift of God that no man may boast. And when you are in Christ, He is the vine and you are the branch. You are connected. You are His. And you are His for eternity. But, don't forget about what we talked about this morning. Don't walk around claiming to be connected, to be in Christ, but then you have, you're nothing but a fruitless tree. Don't be a fruitless tree. So we get down, we'll, let's finish this um, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John. Okay, so here he is. He's finally made it. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, John that is. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went down from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold... A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Um, We could spend a lot of time on what was just said in these verses. So we've got Jesus who appears before John. John is in the Jordan, or by the Jordan, in the wilderness, doing his message, baptizing people. Jesus shows up. I need to be baptized by you. No, I'm sorry. Uh, Tells John to baptize him. And John says, I need to be baptized by you. Now, going back to the thought with the Pharisees this morning and how we, we spoke that to be, a, if you're like a Pharisee, you're living in a life where you think God owes you something or that God needs you in order to do what He wants to do. And so... Here's John, the exact opposite of what the Pharisees were like, well, I'm going to see to Abraham. He needs me to fulfill the promise. John, Jesus comes to John, baptize me. He's like, you don't need me. I'm not worthy to carry your sandals. You need to baptize me. The humility, once again, comes out from John because he knows his mission and he knows his message. But this is... The second thing that I have trouble with. Jesus says, I need to be baptized by you. Or no, Jesus says, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So why would John have a problem baptizing Jesus? Not just because, other than just not being worthy. But what, do we know what, when... When, the, when John's baptizing these people, remember what they're doing while they're being baptized, or in, in, while they're there and being baptized. Remember what it said they're doing? Repenting. They're repenting. They're confessing their sin. So John's like, you ain't got nothing to... What are you talking about? 
I can't bat, I cannot I can't t- I cannot tell the people in front of us that I'm baptizing you. That's saying that you've got something to be you got to repent of. He's like, I'm not doing that. But Jesus says, "Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness." Okay. So, um, what does that mean? That Jesus says we got to do this so that we can fulfill all righteousness. He is. He is. Now, and that, that is getting directly to the point. But what, what I want us to see before we go there, uh, righteousness. What is it? Without sin. It's without sin. And so the standard for God for the entrance into this kingdom is righteousness. Well, I'm sorry, folks. You don't have it. And you can't gain it. None of us can. So it is very, very important that Jesus be righteous. Very, very important. Uh, a few verses real quick. Look, uh, flip a page or two to Matthew 5, 17. Do you think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Alright, now turn to Romans 8, verse 1. We've got a few passages. We're just going to put these in our, in our mind as we think about Christ and righteousness. Romans 8, chapter 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God, here we go, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Is that you? Raise your hand. Yep, it's me. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So, you have no righteousness. Jesus gained all righteousness. He accomplished all righteousness. And He had to in order that you could walk into this kingdom. Alright? We'll save it. You can take this home and read it. Hebrews 4. Verses 14 through chapter 5, verses 10. Hebrews 9, pretty much all of Hebrews 9. And you see the importance of the righteousness of Christ as a high priest. His guiltlessness as one who would take a sacrifice to God. That's that's something y'all can 
do his homework. Isaiah 53 said this, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So here's my problem though. But why baptism? And I think I'm getting hung up because he is sinless. Because he is righteous. And Ms. Faye brings up a very good point that he is an example. And he is to be the representative of all who are in him. He is to come, he's coming now specifically to represent Israel and then eventually the Gentiles. But he's doing this and he's identifying with those and their sin that he has come to bear. Now it's interesting that Jesus. Do you know what Jesus calls the cross in Luke 12? His baptism. He says he's going to be baptized. And he's talking about the cross. So I think there is something to say about the fact that that John, um, John baptized in water... Jesus, who did not sin. And then Jesus died, who never sinned. He was baptized twice. And didn't deserve or need to do either one. But in doing it, He fulfilled all righteousness. God made him to be sin who knew no sin in order that you might become the righteousness of God. And therefore, you have entrance into the kingdom of heaven because of your union with Christ and Christ alone. Now, I want to say these uh, last two things as we look, as we see this interaction with the Trinity. The Son is coming out of the waters. Uh, The Spirit is descending like a dove. And the Father speaks from heaven. Behold, the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Oh, one thing. You cannot fulfill all righteousness. Keep that in mind at home with your spouse. Don't hold them to a standard that not even you can keep, that no person can keep. Remember that as we raise our children, that they cannot be righteous. They cannot. So we must not hold them to a standard that that they can't keep. And when we hold people to standards that they can't keep, we tend to sin in anger, frustration, impatience. So as you thank God that He was righteous because you aren't, remember that the people around you fit the same bill. Uh, okay, lastly, this happens. The, dove, uh, the Spirit descends like a dove. The Father speaks from heaven. Two things, two things I can say happen. A divine confirmation that Jesus is the Son of God. The Spirit descends and, and, and becomes and brings Him the power 
to, to move forward and to do the things that have to be done. The son calls out, this is my beloved son, or the father calls out, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. They have confirmed before, uh, well, John at least sees it. It doesn't speak to anyone else hearing it. But here's what I have to say. It is written. That's all you need to know. It is written. It is confirmed that Jesus is the Son of God as we see the, the, the Spirit of God descend upon the Son and the Father tell us that this is His Son in whom He is well pleased. And that's why John writes to us and says, We write these things so that you may believe. I don't know if anybody heard God the Father say this. I don't know. No one, it does not say. But it was written. God revealed it, to Matthew at least. God breathes and speaks through these words. We're not going around waiting to hear the, the clouds rumble. And for, for, for God to speak from the clouds to tell us something. No, you want to hear God, you open up the Bible and you read it. The second thing, and this is how we'll finish. Uh, this was not just a divine confirmation, but this was a divine agreement between the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I got this from J.C. Ryle and I'm not going to take it. I'm going to give him the credit. He said, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit said in the beginning, let us make man. And here they say, let us save man. Your salvation is founded in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are triune, we are Trinitarian, and we believe that the Father wills, the Son uh, secures, and the Spirit applies. Without one of those, you are dead in your sin and in your trespasses. We worship a triune God. Three persons in one. One, but yet distinct. It's a mystery, but it's necessary for us and our salvation. So there was a divine confirmation that Jesus was the Son and a divine agreement between the three the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that they would come to do and to save God's people. Let's pray. Father, we thank You.